Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We are wading into the marriage section. We set it up last week, recognizing that uh, verse 21 provides the introduction for this following section through chapter 6 verse 9, which deals with marriage and family and beyond. Do we have two seats somewhere? Two seats anywhere? One there? Okay. All right. We can make two up front. Scoot. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So all of this is um, in the context of being filled with the Spirit. And what we see here in verse 21 is that one of the fundamentals of the Spirit-filled life is submitting to one another out of reverence for or fear of or submission to Jesus Christ. Uh, The next section, verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, really is just expanding on that statement. The uh, Greek word that Paul uses here, a form of the verb to submit, is a military term which means to arrange under, uh, to subordinate to, or to submit to a position of authority. So in the military, there is an order of rank. Uh, Certain ranks are under other ranks. They are subordinate to their superior officers, and uh, they submit themselves to the position of authority above them. Maybe not always gladly, nonetheless, uh, that is the order, and uh, that's the only way it works. This does not mean that those who are subordinate uh, are any less significant. Every position is significant. It just means that they've been assigned to a different position. Again, all positions are essential, but there is also an essential order to their assignments. We asked last week, what happens if you abandon the order and everyone just starts doing what seems best in their own eyes? You lose. It's chaos. It is essential that we all understand the position that we have been assigned to and that we embrace the responsibilities of that position. God made us and God made marriage and He designed it to work a certain way. If we abandon our positions and we just go on doing what seems right in our own eyes, we are certain to lose and we are headed for chaos. I would say to those of you also who are single, I know you may think, well, I guess I'll just check out for about six weeks, but... um, You know, you all have friends who are married and uh, certainly there are times when one of your friends may come to you and, you know, just be discussing things uh, passionately about what's going on in marriage and you can be an encouragement to them according to God's Word and certainly, you know, you may be married one day as well. So, um, to change the illustration from the military to a football team, the head coach is not more important than the quarterback, uh, but the quarterback is positioned under the authority of the head coach, and one of the most important duties of the quarterback is to submit to the leadership of the head coach. That's what Paul means in verse 21, that uh, we would be arranging ourselves under and submitting ourselves to the positions of authority that God has put in our lives. He then goes on to apply that to a number of relationships that have this ordered structure. He speaks to those that are in positions under authority, and he speaks to those that are in positions of authority. We're going to deal with a little bit of both today in terms of the marriage relationship. So follow as I read 
Uh, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. This is the Word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Amen. Now, because we live in a culture that is out to assault any authority but the authority of self, to the culture, this sounds absolutely preposterous. It sounds crazy. It sounds evil. It sounds archaic and barbaric on the husband's end, and then it sounds like uh, slavery for the wife. And maybe if you're honest, it sounds like that to you. But let me remind you of some basic principles that we know elsewhere uh, and then apply it here. A life in sin is a life in bondage. And sin is the rejection of God's commands. That's the way it starts out. God gave a command, reject the command, sin enters the world. In Christ, not only have we been forgiven our sin, but we've also been set free from the bondage to our sin. Uh, Jesus broke the chain so that we no longer have to serve our sin. Jesus has set us free to serve Him instead. How do we serve Him? By believing what He calls us to believe, by thinking what He calls us to think, by loving what He calls us to love, by doing what He calls us to do. If there aren't any more chairs, could someone... uh, Guy, run across the hall and grab a couple or four. Thank you. Um, Again, how do we serve the Lord? By believing what He calls us to believe, by thinking what He calls us to think, by feeling what He calls us to feel, by loving what He calls us to love, and doing what He calls us to do. We serve Him and follow Him according to His Word, according to His commands. And the commands of the Lord, His Word says, are not burdensome. They guide us and they lead us on the path of life. They lead us further and further into our freedom and in our joy in Christ. So, the command for wives to submit to their husbands is no exception to that. It may sound crazy at first to some of you, but that's not because it is crazy. It's simply because we have been steeped in a culture that thinks it sounds crazy. But we have to remember that the culture is crazy. And the Word of the Lord is as sturdy and sound and sane as it has ever been and as it always will be. We don't evaluate the Word through the lens of the culture. We evaluate the culture through the lens of the Word. And we see very clearly that the culture is crazy and that the Word is God's. Again, everyone knows that to abandon order in the military is chaos and to abandon the order of a football team is to resolve to lose. But why do we think then that we can just abandon order in marriage and get different results? It can't happen. So let's think about this passage under two main headings. Uh, Number one, the husband's position. And number two, the chief responsibility of the wife. First, the husband's position. Again, I'm thinking in terms of a football team, quarterback's position, head coach, you know, tight end, whatever. Um, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, that's our position. We are the head. Now, we're going to talk more about headship in future weeks. Um, 
But let's just start by recognizing that it is a position of authority and responsibility. Obviously, none of us would question who's in the position of authority with Jesus and His bride, the church. Um, and our position is compared to Jesus' Jesus's position. It's a position of authority. Uh, but it's also a position of great responsibility. Jesus took full responsibility for our sins on the cross. That's part of what it means for Him to be the head of the church. You know, Adam was the first what we call representative head of mankind. Uh, He had responsibility for mankind in the garden. He sinned on our behalf. In Adam, we all sinned, the Bible would say. We're all sinners because Adam sinned. He represented us. He was our head. Jesus was the second representative head of mankind. He took responsibility for His bride, the church. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God on our behalf. And He took our payment for our sin on the cross. Um, so the husband is the head. The husband is like the head coach. He's in a position of authority, and the team is his responsibility. As the head goes, so the team goes. As the husband goes, so the marriage goes. But notice how verse 23 talks about Jesus' relationship to the church. The church is his body, he is her savior. Uh, this doesn't mean that you know the wife is the husband's body in exactly the same way, and um, certainly doesn't mean that the husband is the wife's savior. But what it's what it's at least showing us here is that Jesus's headship for his bride is one of connectivity and proximity and nurture, uh, intimacy. We are his body, as well as responsibility and sacrifice and love. He is our savior. Now again, we're going to have plenty more to say about headship in the coming weeks, about how husbands, husbands are to operate in our position of authority and responsibility. I read somewhere that this marriage section has 40 words addressed to wives and 115 addressed to husbands. So there's going to be lots more to say. Um, for now, let's just say that the fact that the husband is the head means that he's in a position of authority and responsibility in the marriage. Um, And if there's any pretense that this then means that uh, this is some kind of domineering, distant authority, you know, verse 23 already slaughters that idea, and he's going to slaughter it again and again throughout this passage. Our headship is to be operated in proximity, in nurture, with intimacy, responsibility, sacrifice. Uh, We're going to flesh some of that out. I remember um, this really was a foreign concept to me when I got married. I think it was preached in my wedding, but and I had heard it, you know, a couple times, but other like to actually ever face it and deal with it and think about it in terms of my own life, it just didn't register. And uh, I remember about a year into my marriage uh, just trucking along and thinking everything's, you know, good and we have one of those conversations at the dinner table and I'm like, "So how is how's how are things going?" you know, and it was kind of one of those things where there's the long pause and you think I think she's about to cry. And, uh, <laughs> and it, well, it was just, I mean, it had been building for, you know, a long time. And there were a number of issues uh, going on there. And I don't really remember what Tiffany said, but I remember as if God spoke audibly to me the very clear sense, this is you. This is your responsibility. You got here under your leadership. You're leading us out of here. Things have to change. And... 
you know, then come later to study this passage and, and understand kind of what was going on there. But God just very clearly hammering me and saying, this is on you, buddy. And uh, you gotta, you got to get us out of here. I, I think we tend to have this misconception in our marriage. You know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. You take care of your business, I'll take care of my business. And we'll kind of do, you know, the team that way. It's not so. Husbands, our wives are fully our responsibilities. Their cares, their concerns, their commitments, their fears, their frustrations, their anxieties, their physical, their mental, their emotional, their spiritual well-being. First and foremost, the line of responsibility falls to the husband. God has given you a wife. And lest you think that is some add-on extra, look at what the marriage relationship is compared to here in our passage, Jesus and His bride, the church. So here's our homework, husbands. Take inventory of your marriage. Just get alone at some point this week and honest inventory. You can use some of those words that I've used. Connectivity, proximity, intimacy, nurture, uh, sacrifice, love, you know, oneness, whatever word you want to use. Just take inventory. Honest You don't have to show it to anybody. You don't have to turn it in. But wherever we are in our marriages, we got there under our leadership. If it's good, to God be the glory. Wherever we are, we have to own it. And and we have to take the leadership role in our marriages moving forward. Again, we're going to talk much more about how to go about that. But... um, for now, it's good just to take honest inventory. I have the image of a head coach at the press conference, and his team's on a losing streak. And any coach in that situation that blames the team is a coach that should be fired. I mean, he's not a coach worth his salt. It's on us. That's what he would say. And that's what we have to say. It's on us. I led us here. And uh, by God's grace, according to God's design, I'm going to lead us out of here. Now, wives, it does not explicitly name your position in the passage. You can be the quarterback if you want. You can be the middle linebacker, depending on the day. But, uh, you know, we know from the beginning of Genesis that the wife is the helper. Um, And we know from the context there that that is a a position of great strength. The context is Adam couldn't do what God called him to do. You know, the fact that the wife is the helper says more about the man than it does the woman. It says that he needs the help. And so God made a helper fit for him. Uh, for our purposes today, it doesn't name your position, but it names the husband's position to make it clear that he is in a position of greatest authority and responsibility in terms of the marriage relationship. And that sets the backdrop for the wife's chief responsibility. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, lest we think that that makes marriage out to be some sort of slavery, we're called to think in terms of the church's relationship to Jesus. You know, we gladly and freely submit to Jesus uh, and His headship. And wives, that doesn't mean that your husband is Jesus. You're very aware by this point that he's not. And uh, it doesn't mean that you serve your husband as if he is the Lord. 
It means that your submission to your husband is a way that you submit to the Lord and very closely um, connected. Submission to your husband flows out of your submission to Jesus. So, are you glad in your submission to the Lord? Um, You know, an inevitable consequence of that would be glad submission to your husband. Jesus has set us free from our sin and... uh, Anyone who has truly been set free will be glad to serve Him. Now, we go in uh, waves in terms of our gladness. Sometimes we kick against the goads, don't we? I mean, you know, it's just a little hard that day or week or month or whatever. But um, certainly, when we start to connect this to our submission to Him, in whom we are glad to submit to, and that this is one of the primary ways that He's called us to function, if not the chief responsibility, I think, for the wife in marriage. Um, and it says, notice in the passage, it says submission to your own husband. And in the um, original language, Paul really emphasized that word as if there could be like an exclamation point or it could be in italics or something. All to say, whatever he's saying here, he's not making some general statement that women submit to men. That's not true. Um, Men and women are equal in value. God has simply ordered the marriage relationship in a certain way, assigned different positions, and he's laying those out here. Uh, Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. I want us to think about some common pitfalls in terms of headship and submission. Genesis chapter 3. Actually, I'll read from verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, and then I'll jump over to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, we could go off on a tangent here and talk about what did God actually say. He didn't say that. Uh, So just we need to be clear on what God did say in His Word. Uh, But we're going a different direction. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, sin is enticing... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So sin enters the world, and because of sin you have guilt and shame. You know, the fig leaves are an attempt to cover their guilt and shame. Uh, In the next few verses, they try to hide from God. Does that sound familiar? In our sin, you know, we distance ourselves from the Lord and we try to manufacture little coverings um, to cover our guilt and shame. But for our purposes today, the thing I want us to think about is this. 
when all this is going down, and when the serpent shows up and deceives Eve, a very good question to ask is, where is Adam? I mean, God gave the commandment back in Genesis 2 to Adam. And then He made Eve. Adam was the leader. It was his responsibility to lead his wife, to see to it that she understood the commandment and and that they together would obey it. So where was Adam while Eve was being deceived into sin? What we see in chapter 3 is he was right there next to her. She eats the fruit and then she just, you know, here you go. You want some? What was he doing? He might have been checking his phone. But uh, make no mistake... Even though Eve was deceived and ate of the forbidden tree, the Bible attributes the first sin to Adam because it was his responsibility because he was the head. One of the main pitfalls of godly headship is passivity. In our sins, we husbands don't want to own the responsibility that God has given to us. We would rather someone else take care of it. We would rather someone else lead. We would rather someone else lead them spiritually. And honestly, our wives suffer for our passivity. In fact, the effects are often much more severe than just our wives suffering for it. The generations are affected by it. In Adam's case, all humanity suffered for it. Men, we must daily be repenting of our tendency to passivity. And it doesn't just happen in marriage. It's... We learned it from our first father and it fleshes itself out in everything. We don't want conflict. We just move away. We want someone else to handle it. Whatever it is, uh, we have to repent of it all the time and own the responsibilities that God has put before us. Jesus died for our sins of passivity, which not only means that we are forgiven for them, it also means that we are free from serving them. So let us return to the gospel day after day, confessing our sin of passivity and owning the responsibilities that God has put before us. Again, we're going to have more to say about that, how to flesh that out in the coming weeks. What about the pitfalls of submission? Look at uh, Genesis 3, verse 16. In response to sin, God pronounced curses over all of the parties involved, over the serpent, over Adam, over Eve. We see the curse to Eve in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So two things are involved in the curse against Eve and through her to all generations. Number one, uh, having a baby hurts. Still true? Yeah. Uh, And number two, the wife wants to wear the pants. Uh, It says that your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Remember, this is a part of the curses. Whatever is being said here, it's not good. He's saying that your desire is going to be for your husband's position. But he's going to be in a position to lead you. One of the main pitfalls of submission is that the wife wants to be the head. Now, this is probably exacerbated by the fact that the husband isn't very good at being the head a lot of times. 
Nonetheless, the, the wife's call is to always be repenting of your desire to be in your husband's position and to submit to him all the time as unto the Lord. Um, <clears throat> so there has to be this constant reorienting ourselves to the authority structure that God has established. We remember that God is good. We remember that the order is good. We remember that without it we have chaos and we return to position. You know, um, I see a particular temptation in this for those of you women who are uh, successful at work, uh, perhaps more so than your husband, and that's not to say anything bad about that. But I think the thing that you know we do have to evaluate there is even if you're the CEO at work, and praise the Lord for the opportunity. Uh, your husband is still the head when you get home, and there might be, you know, an added uh, difficulty in having to fight to reorient yourself to the structure of the team. How about more pitfalls of uh, submission? And if you're keeping score, and you're like, you only gave one pitfall for the husband, and uh, <clears throat> trust me, there's going to be more coming. Um, for the next many weeks. But more pitfalls of submission would be to be um, a naggy, argumentative, uh, contentious, belittling wife, you know, always speaking down to your husband. Uh, This flows out of that fallen desire to be in the position of authority. You know, he's just not doing his thing right. I want to be the head coach. And... uh, Just to say it as clearly as I can, that is about as far removed as we can get from the biblical picture that we get of the call of a wife. And it really produces the opposite effect that you want. Because if you're honest, there's like a mixture of desires. Like what you really want is for your husband to be good in his leadership position. And it's just the way that we kind of go about trying to implement that and that they work against each other. Uh, You want him to be a better head, but when you nag and argue and contend and belittle, you you drive him further away from wanting to own those responsibilities of headship. So Proverbs 21.9 says, It's better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Um, (laughs) Proverbs 21.19 says, It's better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Proverbs 27, 15-16 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a continual dripping on a rainy day. To restrain her is to restrain the wind and to grasp oil in your hand. Can't be done. So if you are prone to that nagging and contending and belittling, um, you are working against what you desire. And honestly, it sucks the life out of your marriage. Um, Driving your husband away from the things that you would want him to do. So how do we properly encourage our husbands, even when they are not good at being the head coach? Submit to him. Later in our passage, Paul uses the word respect interchangeably with submission. The best way to encourage your husband in the direction that God wants him to go is to submit to him uh, and respect him. To, To be his helper. Look for the stresses in his life and, you know, help those. Um... Even if he's not respectable, respect him. Even if he's in sin, we looked at this back last week in 1 Peter 2, 
you know, Jesus is your example with this. And I would say, you know, in, in our passage in Ephesians 5, <coughs> it um, compares the wife's role to that of the church. But, you know, you're also in 1 Peter 2, find fellowship with the Lord and His submission to even uh, ungodly authority. And uh, Jesus is in a position of submission there. He's also, think about, in a position of submission in the Godhead. Um, all Father, Son, and Spirit are equal, and yet there was an economy, a structure, an order to the way that that uh, works out. And Jesus submitted Himself to the will of the Father. I mean, He's the one that went and died. And so there is, I think, for wives as well, you find intimate fellowship with the Lord in this submission um, as well. As it says in 1 Peter 2, He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in His mouth. And yet they charged Him as a criminal and murdered him as one. Sinful men did that to you know, the sinless God-man. Yet he didn't contend with them. He didn't argue with them. It says that he continued entrusting himself to the Father who judges justly. And then the very next thing that it says is in the same way, wives, submit to your own husbands. So that even if they are in sin, if they are being disobedient to the Word, it says win them without a word by your respectful and pure conduct. And I can tell you, uh, just you know, to testify to the truth of this, uh, nothing exposes me and uh, strengthens me for my work than when I'm being a total idiot. And uh, you know, Tiffany remains where God has called her to remain, and then I just look like an idiot, and I have to deal with that. You know, but if you get into the fighting thing, like it's real easy to then begin justifying and everything like that. But uh, just to let him be an idiot, and uh, God will deal with him. And, um, you know, these things stir up conviction. I mean, who is sufficient for such things? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Go back to the garden. Sin enters the world. Guilt and shame. We could also see blame shifting. You know, they made me do it. And there's all this, I mean, real lot of help for marriage there in the first few chapters of the Bible. But uh, the thing that always jumps out to me, you know, sin causes separation from God. And, and because of sin, after the curses, God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. But before he does that, he clothes them with animal skins. And so, he's saying, your manufactured covering, it's not good. You can't cover your guilt and cover your shame. But I will cover you. I will cover your guilt and cover your shame. And how, how did you get those skins? Well, an animal had to be sacrificed in order to get those skins. And so there, in the third chapter of the Bible, we have a picture of Christ who would be sacrificed for our covering who would cover our sin and cover our guilt and cover our shame, God is showing us His grace even in the very beginning. Uh, He is our reconciliation. So to anyone who is convicted in their sin, your sins are forgiven in Christ. Husbands, every last time that you've been passive in your responsibilities. Wives, every last time you've been quarrelsome, disrespectful. God's grace is bigger than all our sins. Every last one of those sins has been paid for on the cross. Confess your sins to God. He is faithful to forgive you. Confess your sins to your spouse. It will go a long way in moving in the right direction. Return to the Gospel again and again and return to position again and again. God is your strength. 
All of this is absolutely crazy to the culture. But the culture is crazy. Look at the condition of marriage in the culture. And that has seeped into the church. Look at the condition of marriage at large in the church. And it's because we've lost the blueprint. In many cases, Christians in the church have even laughed at the blueprint. Not us. Fear the Lord and uh, follow Him according to His ways. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It it, uh, penetrates to those places in us where only You and I go. And um, Lord, we're thankful that it does. We're thankful that it convicts. We're thankful that it cuts. We're thankful that it cleans. We're thankful for Your grace in Christ. And we're thankful that that grace uh, not only covers us and forgives us, cleanses us, but also empowers us to live new lives. And so I pray, Lord, by the power of Your grace, that You would uh, construct us aright in uh, godly biblical marriages. For Your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. Does anybody have a question that they would like to throw out or thought? As you think of them, I have one little thing I would like to say uh, because I, I think I've heard recently that this was a, a misconception. and There was a situation recently where uh, husband and wife and you know, he was going through a major transition in career and um, frankly was about to make a, a very poor decision that would have compromised his career and um, just not been good at all. Uh, wasn't thinking straight, you know. And um, the wife had said to a friend <clears throat> she was discussing it with, she said, I just I can't say anything because it's a mission. You're, you're the helper of your husband. He needs your help. Um, Submit, yes. It takes wisdom to know when is the time to speak and when is the time, you know, not to. Um, But certainly in that situation, I would absolutely say, now, you probably have to be careful. It's a very sensitive issue. He's out of sorts, you know. But, like, the communication is is absolutely necessary because you're his help and he has blind spots and this is not good and this is not going to be good. And so... But she really did say, because of submission, I can't... And I, that's not... Um, if you would think something like that, I wouldn't want you to think something like that. Uh, that's not the case. <clears throat> the wife is a helper. That's a position of strength. The man needs the help. Uh, bad, you know. And uh, God will give you the wisdom to know the difference. I will say, you know, and I've said this before, um, in terms of communication about... Uh, Hairy issues, both ways. Uh, choose that carefully. We get flippant with our words. We hurt each other, and uh, oftentimes, if we would just, you know, time out, breather, go to the other room, nothing profitable happens in this setting uh, ever. And you know, prayerfully consider what it is that needs to be said. And Tiffany, for one, has you know, changed course in change the course of my life with a carefully written, prayerfully crafted letter 
that was targeting some things in me that she desired to change. And that's good and helpful. And nothing that I'm saying here, I think, contradicts that. Um, but I think we can all do go a long way in careful, prayerful communication, particularly in these difficult times. Anyone else? All right, we're done.